Barb. Well, I can't hide it very easily, so I'm not going to. Yes, I had a surgical procedure this past week on Thursday, and so I'm a little sore. Uh, apparently, it was minor surgery. As many of you have found out, and this is this is for all my doctor friends out in the congregation, what that means is they just haven't had the surgery yet. It's still, it's uncomfortable. So, um, but I wanted to take some time to talk to you and share with you. But first, thanks for the feedback on my son last week. Uh, yes, uh, I got over and overwhelming feedback. Yes, I was proud. I especially love the comment that uh, you must be very proud of your son. Um, he did a great job. I love competition. Now you're going to have to step it up. This is my version of stepping it up. <laughs> Just being here this week. No, honestly, with all that's happening around the nation, um, I really want to take some time and just share with you my thoughts as we apparently are moving pretty rapidly toward opening back up. And what does that look like? Let me say, first of all, that um, opening up won't be just like everybody comes to church. I already know that. I'm not sure what it'll look like exactly, but I can assure you that as a staff and elders, we're very concerned about the people in our church that are either medically compromised or have had it. I was tested last Wednesday in preparation for my surgery, so I have a COVID-free, COVID-19 free card now. I don't have it. If you haven't had the test, I encourage you to go have it done. It's worth the uh, experience <laughs> sticking that thing up your nose. <laughs> so um, we will work very hard to protect those of us that are compromised, as is always the case. It doesn't matter when throughout the year, if you feel vulnerable then we encourage you to stay home. We will pray for you. We'll be glad to bring you communion if you would like as we get nearer. So we will follow all the protocols, whatever that looks like. It might be kind of feel a little different than what we were used to when we were together, but we will do that. Okay, now remember, we talked last week about what does crisis look like with a mask on? Um, just to set the contrast for where we're headed and where we're coming from. We're often driven by fear. Boy, all you have to do is look at any of the media sources and you'll see that. The uh, stresses and insecurities continue to grow and often drive us when we're on a, in, into or while we're in unhealthy situations. Just simply trying to make sense of the world around us. And um, everybody I talk to, the, the, the data that's coming at us from 360 degrees, I, I can't find a lot. Of it. I don't know what to think, to be honest with you. I suspect that you feel the same, and that in itself creates some degree of insecurity. We find ourselves struggling to trust God. Where is God in all this? Now, the Bible's full of people that have done that. That's uh, human nature for those that love the Lord. Where are you? Um, I often think of Jesus' last words on the cross, why have you forsaken me? That's a plea. Where are you, God? When I need you right now, where are you? We'll talk more about that later. Not today, but some other day. As... Uh, and as the social media does its job, we tend to panic. We have a lot of people that are on the verge of panicking. We're not sure what to think about it. And let me start by saying, as I've tried to say over the weeks, just relax. Just relax. I love serving the one true living God who cares about us. I just love it. I love him. Over 40 years of serving him and Never been disappointed. Oh, I've been on the edge of my seat a few times, but not a roller coaster. 
but uh, never been disappointed with what he's trying to accomplish. So for those of us with the mass that has been removed, remember way back in 2 Corinthians, when you turn to Christ, the veil is taken away. So I didn't bring my mask up here today, but we have a natural uh, a natural picture in our society right now with everybody wearing masks to help us capture this sense. So what should our posture be toward reopening and regathering? I said a few weeks ago, if we're not careful, we're at great risk. Because we have people on so many different sides of this discussion. And it's more than two sides. And so uh, if we're not careful, we're at great risk. So what is it? what should our posture be? Well, first, I think we should have gratitude toward our government officials who have worked to protect us. You know, the argument over whether they were too strict or too lenient, I'm not even going to get engaged in it. It's not my field. I don't know what to think. History and the courts will figure that out in the medical profession. They'll take a look at all that. And uh, down the road, they'll understand much more clearly what happened. Did we do the right thing? Were we too conservative? I don't know that. That's not my fight. Okay? I'm grateful. Whether they were right or wrong, I'm grateful because I believe that whatever their motive is, it isn't pure evil. Nobody has pure evil motives. Um, They're trying to do something that's right. And I'm grateful to have leaders that are trying to do something that's right, even whether I agree with them or not. Um, But I think, secondly, that we should look to the Lord for his guidance and his leadership, because we should always remember that he is the one that is sovereign. This is his creation. We are his people. These are his people out there. These are his animals, his trees. He cares very much, very much for that. He is the one who put our government leaders in place to begin with. We should always remember that. that's why I've said over the years back when even earlier this year in the for or against don't criticize our leaders because God takes responsibility for them and putting them in place. So we should always sovereignty with some kind of confidence. But even more than that, we should always remember his heart because his heart is always toward the poor, the disenfranchised, the marginalized, the compromised, those who are struggling in some way. His heart is the, I just am amazed. I read the Bible every year. I'm amazed at how many times he said, their cry goes out to me and I listen to them. The poor, the marginalized, the franchise, uh, disenfranchised, the hurting, the widows, the orphans. I pay attention to them. Their cry is louder than anybody else's cry in the Lord's ears. And so we should remember his heart toward those. But we should also remember his heart toward those who are grieving. Uh, thank you. Uh, Barb, for praying for Memorial Day today. I had that at the top of my list, and you did it. Um, We all know people somewhere that have paid a price, a big sacrifice, so that I can sit here or stand here freely and proclaim the gospel to you. We all know people, uh, by God's grace, I've said, I don't know of anybody in our church proper that has paid with their life through the coronavirus, but we all know people in extended families that have, whether it's suicide, whether it's economic collapse, whatever it is, we all know those people. And so we should always remember his heart toward the grieving. And so that should kind of lay the groundwork for when we begin to come back together to have a soft heart, to have a soft heart. Because everybody's going to be in very different places when we come back together. And it's just as a pastor, as your pastor, I'm just saying, soften your heart. Let's take some time, and I'll give you some thoughts on how to do that. I think Paul gives us some great insight. You read, thanks for reading Philippians 4. 
It's a passage well known to all of you. Uh, It actually is in the context in verse 3. He had two women at the church of Philippi who were not getting along. And that was such a great concern to him that he wrote these passages. But they apply to any time that there's stress, any time there's conflict, any time there's insecurity, uncertainty, and all of that. So let me just say the beginning of this is that our entire Christian ethos, whether we are gathered or not gathered, uh, we've experienced something we've never experienced in our life, a non-gathering church. Whether we are together or apart, our Christian ethos should be characterized by mutual love, forgiveness, and support. Care for one another. The moment this happened, we, um, the staff and the elders got together and we revamped our whole focus. We set aside all the things that we would normally be doing and refocused around two ideas. How do we care for our people and how do we encourage them? And that's been our, our focus throughout this whole time of a non-gathering church is how do we encourage you and how do we care for you? We may have missed some of you, but I can tell you it's not because we meant to. It's because we just are so busy. Sometimes we overlook everything that's happening. And so as a church, whether we're together, we should be described by mutual love, forgiveness, and support. I often go through the exercise, and sometimes I've done it with the staff. If, if I could ask the county, the people that don't go to church, what they know about DCC, what would I want them to say? What words would I want them to use? I don't care about big, small. I don't care about all that. What I care about are these things right here. Mutual love, forgiveness, support. This is a church. I want our people in our county to say, this is a church that cares about us. I personally not believe may not believe in Christianity. I'm okay if they say that. But I want them to say our church is a caring church. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so from day one, I just passed seven years a couple weeks ago, by the way. Uh, from day one, uh, that's been my my goal and my focus is to keep us so that the, everybody that looks at us will use the same type of pictures. I love that church, whether or not I belong to it. So let's not forget this as we look at coming come together again. It's going to happen soon. Um, don't know how it's going to roll out, but it is going to happen. It's coming. So let's not forget that what we're all about as Christians. Okay. We're not, out of, we're not here to criticize our government. We're not here to prove or disprove what they did was right or wrong. We're here to love each other. That's really what we're here for. And to model the kingdom to a people who are very panicked and terrified, many of them out there. In the ancient world, Paul starts, rejoice in the Lord always. I love that word rejoice. You can also turn it into a verb that says celebrate. You see, in the ancient world, celebration was part of culture. All around Paul, everywhere he went, all through Asia Minor, it doesn't matter, the Roman Empire, they celebrated often. They celebrated festivals. They celebrated the blessings of the gods, things like uh, agricultural blessings, uh, fertility blessings, things of that nature. They celebrated with sports, with games. Okay, Think of the Olympics. Uh, some of those ancient sports that we still try to carry some of them on today. They celebrated Caesar himself when he came into town. So celebration was a big part of the ancient world. And by the way, celebration was also a part of ancient Israel. That's why we had festivals throughout the year. God wanted his people to come together and to laugh and to celebrate. But there is a fundamental difference in the way the world celebrates and the way we celebrate. And Paul's going to touch on that real briefly. So this command by Paul is no different than what we 
have seen all throughout the Bible, and we should experience it. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. He says it twice. Now, those of you that are veteran scholars know that when you repeat something, that's how they signify importance. So he says it twice. Must be important. Uh, by the way, he says, uh, no leader is uh, established except that which is established by God. Romans 13, he says that twice. So we should also remember that one as well. So this is a plural command. You as a church, you all, said many times we need the Texas version. Y'all celebrate, okay? Celebrate it. If they could celebrate Caesar parties, shouldn't we celebrate King Jesus and all that he's done? Yeah, I'll say it again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's right. Shouldn't we celebrate King Jesus and all that he has done for us? We should. And soon we'll get the chance together. But yet, he adds a very next verse. is very interesting. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Wow, those two verses juxtaposed. Celebrate, raise your hands, cheer. And yet, let your gentleness be evident to all. You see, um, even though celebration is to be a part of our culture, the ancient forms of celebration often involved very unreasonable exuberance, things that we would never engage in. So celebration doesn't mean it's just a free-for-all. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that at all. Our celebration at the very core, just like our worship, our celebration should demonstrate our belief that the Lord is sovereign and he's coming back. He's sovereign and he's coming back. The Lord is near. Do you believe that? For those of you that are sitting in your living rooms, do you actually believe that? That is more powerful than whatever damage COVID-19 can occur, can cause. This is more powerful. The Lord is sovereign and he is coming back. So our celebration, just like our worship, should demonstrate that. Paul, when he's talking about worship in 1 Corinthians 14, it's fascinating. He says, if you're not careful, uh, unbelievers are going to look at you and think you're mad. If you do it disorganized and with all the same exuberance of the surrounding nations, surrounding culture. His assumption is that unbelievers, those who don't yet know Jesus, they haven't found that relationship, are going to be present amongst us. And that's what we want. All the way through the Psalms, you see that language. We worship the Lord so that all the nations will know that he is the one true living and loving God. And the assumption is that unbelievers are invited. Come, come be part of us. Come watch. And I will forget in the amphitheater one time I said, when you're getting ready to do communion, if you don't know what your relationship is with Jesus or you're not sure you believe, that's okay. Come down here when we celebrate communion and just stand next to me and see what I see. Look in the eyes of the people coming forward. And I've had probably three or four times in my tenure here at DCC, people do that. I never forget one guy walked down, I went to serve in communion. He goes, no, 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 I don't believe any of this stuff. And I said, well, what are you doing down here? And he said, you invited me to come down. You're right, I did. And he stood right here during the whole communion experience. I, and I told him, I said, just watch, look in their eyes. Just look in their eyes. In my mind, I'm saying, let the Holy Spirit do his part. I have no idea what happened to him. You know, he disappeared and to the crowd, never saw him again. I don't know. But we, we, should, we should value having those with us who don't know what they believe about this Jesus. 
And so our our celebration should always keep in mind that gentleness that we care about people. That's the culture that we're developing right here. That's the culture. Seems like forever, doesn't it? It's been two or three quarantines. It's not. It's not. You're going to remember this time. I told you, I think, uh, I don't know if I told you, I told the elders we did a wedding last week. Carl Rouser and Tanya. And uh, it was the greatest thing in the world. Small wedding. There were seven of us. So we were compliant. And um, I said, Carl, you may now kiss your bride. He gets, he's, she's in a wheelchair. So he gets down on his knees. Uh, by the way, Carl and Tanya, congratulations. I'm sure you're watching this. And he, gives, he kisses her. I said, okay, put your mask on. Because we've got to capture a picture of this for posterity. We just got to have a picture from now on. So they put their mask on and he got to kiss her again with a mask on. It was the sweetest thing in the world. We should have fun. We should enjoy this. When the time comes together, we will have fun with this. Okay? We will follow the rules, but we'll do it in a way that is celebratory. It's not forever. It's just not. So what does celebration look like? Verse 6. He leads us away from anxiety. If we celebrate properly, it leads us away from anxiety and it leads us into deeper trust and thanksgiving. Do not be anxious about anything. That verse is often pulled out of context and that's okay. It's a great verse, but it's in the context of celebration and rejoicing. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So it should lead us away from anxiety. Why? Because we know the truth about this God that we serve. We know the truth. He is the one true God. He is alive. And He is loving. Our God is trustworthy and honestly knows more, much more than our county commissioners do. They're, like most humans and most of us, are fumbling around trying to make sense of all this. Our God knows much more than they do. And so I appreciate our county commissioners, and I would encourage you to pray for them. Sometimes I don't like the decisions that they make, just like you don't. But you know what? I sure am glad they're there. I sure am glad they're there. Pray for them. But further than that, it leads us into this concept of shalom, verse 7. And the peace of God, so look at the order. Celebrate. That's the first thing. Don't be too exuberant. Do it with the intent expression of revealing our trust in God to the people around us. That will lead us in that should lead us into a deeper sense of confidence and prayer. And then the final thing is that the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So it leads us into this deeper sense of what we call shalom. Shalom is that sense, we can translate it peace, but it has to do with our entire well-being, what we're created for. Yes, we're created to be balanced in all these areas, to enjoy the celebration, to enjoy the laughter and the fun, but to enjoy the care for one another, to enjoy the sorrow that comes for those that have lost others, things like that. And we are balanced. That's shalom. When we live our life that way, then we experience this much deeper level of peace is what God created us for. When we move too far in one direction or the other, too much exuberance, you know, whatever it is, too much depression, then we find ourselves not at peace. 
And so this concept of peace is a centering sort of thing that's the result of this whole process. And furthermore, it's beyond understanding. He says that. Transcends all understanding. You know why? Because key peace comes from the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5. It's one of the fruit. Love, joy, peace. You really want to experience the deeper joy? The deeper love, the deeper peace, the deeper patience. Turn your heart to the Lord. Commit your ways to Him. That's where it comes from. And then we together, remember these are all plurals, we together as a community can begin to rest. I think this is what it looks like as we open up back up. But you didn't stop there. You see there's a better mindset in verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, you can't get to these things, by the way, until you've gone through the first four verses. This is the fruit of the process. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, whatever those things are, think about them. Pay attention to them. You see, this helps us, going through this whole process, helps us stand firm against the constant barrage of the media. And you know me well enough to know, I don't trust the media at all. I read them every day, partly for the entertainment value, and partly to figure out whatever they say, probably the opposite is going to be true. But I'm not going to let them make me fear, panic. Not going to do that. So this process, which ends up with healthy thinking, is a safeguard, if you will, against. It helps us stand firm against this constant barrage. And by the way, I've been doing some reading in um, the history of religious liberty in the United States. You know what I found out? This is not unique to our time. You go back into the late 18th uh, century, the 19th century, and the press was doing the same thing back then. That's the great thing about a free press. They get to say what they want. And they're going to print what they think is going to sell papers. Just remember that. Okay? This is not new in our time for those of you that are younger. You should come and take a look at some of the headline articles out of Virginia back in the discussions on the First Amendment. It's amazing. It's just amazing. So this, this process right here, it focuses our attention on the truth of the situation, which honestly can be challenging. I've said many times, turning to Christ sometimes is harder. Sometimes that's the harder road. It can be challenging, but it's a safeguard and keeps us from panicking. It keeps us centered and focused. Okay, Psalms. The Psalms give us a very clear example of this process. Uh, I could have picked all of them just about. I think every Psalm ends the same way but one. I only picked two. Let's talk about lament songs just for a minute. Those are songs that were sung by those in distress. Now, remember the Psalms. Remember what the Psalms are. I've said many times. The Psalms are the record of people. They're the record of people who stopped to write down what they were feeling, what they were experiencing. They were a way of processing, if you will, at an individual level. But then even more than that, at a congregational, national level, they were a way of processing their fears. And guess what? They have very many of the same fears we do. They didn't have what they call pandemics, but they had plagues. You have plagues, which eventually became epidemics, which became pandemics as the world became smaller. And so they went through many of the things that we do. So there's so much wisdom here. But it starts with the Psalms were written by somebody who sat down and said, I need to wrestle through this process so that I can bring it out to my congregation. 
So whenever you read a psalm, it's the journey of someone who's been down a road that you have been down or going to go down or somebody else is going to go down. So a lament psalm are songs that are sung by those in distress. Psalm 44 is a national lament. Okay, It starts with memories of the past, the first three verses. We have heard with our ears, O God, our ancestors have told us what you did in their days and the days long ago. You know what? All the babies that are born right now, this is going to be their story. Because we're going to tell them about this time, aren't we? We're going to remind them. Let us tell you what happened when you were born. Or maybe you're two years old and you can't remember. Let us tell you that. This pandemic is now beginning to define this younger generation. This is what they're going through. Our job is to help them understand it. And that's what's happening here. We have heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. With your hand, you drove out the nations and planted our ancestors. You crushed the peoples and made our ancestors flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, O God, and the light of your face. For you love them. I don't know what it's like to move into a land and have to do military strategy in order to find peace. I don't know what that's like. It had to be terrifying because they're writing about it here. So it starts with memories of the past. We will always remember this time of quarantine, all of us. I think we'll remember it for eternity and we'll reflect on it, what we learned through here. But he goes on in verse 4, he leads the people immediately to express their confidence in the Lord. Verse 4. You are my king and my God. Who decrees victories for Jacob. Though we push back our enemies. Though through your name we trample our foes. I put no trust in my bow. Okay. That's what they had. That was their military. I'm not going to put my trust in this thing. I'm not going to put my trust in a vaccine. Same principle. I'm not going to. My sword does not bring me victory, but you, you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God, we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. So you see how he said, our ancestors told us about this time when there was so much tension and fear and conflict. But we've put our trust in you. And then look where he concludes at the end of the psalm. He concludes with leading the people in a cry to God to rouse himself. I love this. The very end of the psalm, verse 25. Uh, make sure I write the right. 23. Uh, Awake, Lord. Why do you sleep? I love that. Wake up. <laughs> it's a little bit like Jesus. Why have you forsaken me? Wake up, Lord. Rouse yourself. Do not neglect, reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? Why? So his final place is to get them to cry out to the Lord, which is what we should be doing right now. We're going to come back together. Lord, rouse yourself. Help us to do this. Help us to do it in a way that we honor everybody here in our congregation and we honor everybody in our county. So that they look at us and say, that's a church, that's a real church. That's the church I want to belong to. Um, but then you have these psalms of confidence. You have all these different types of psalms. I only picked two. Psalms of confidence are psalms that they express trust in God even in the face of opposition. So I picked one out. Again, these are examples of what Paul's talking about in Philippians 4, Psalm 131. 
Um, it's an example of a psalm of confidence. Let me get there. The psalmist leads the people to express their humility before God. It's the very first thing he does. It's a very short psalm. Psalm of David. My soul is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. So I said, I'm not, I'm not afraid. I'm not worried about what our county's doing. I'm not panicking over whether we're too strict, too liberal, too Democrat, too Republican. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about that. The place to begin in this journey of coming back together is one of humility. We know you to be the one true God. That's what we know. And so our faith is in you. Our confidence is in you. Um, But then he leads the people to reflect more accurately on their place in God's heart. I love the next verse. Verse 2. I have calmed and quieted myself. Now remember, he wrote this so that he could sing it to his congregation and lead them. I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. I love watching Taylor hold her daughter and Cynthia and Gronigan hold her daughter. I just love it. I love watching Linda Sealing hold her granddaughter and just see that's what we're talking about here, this picture. So the psalmist leads the people to reflect more accurately on their place in God's heart because this leads to the contentment that Paul was talking about. Humility, very aware that we are very dear to the Lord. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. The psalmist concludes with leading the people, once again, all the psalms, almost all of them, in some form of this, to put their hope in the one true living God. Verse 3, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, not the king, and he is the king. He didn't say don't put your hope in me, he says put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. You see, the Lord cares about us. He cares very much for our church. He cares also, to be honest with you, very much for the people that don't know him. And I have said all along, I think we're going to find in the long run when we get to eternity, that with this coronavirus, Satan shot himself in the foot. That's what I think. For two reasons. People are leaning into their faith, whereas three months ago they wouldn't have because of fear and also the little church in America wake up you can't keep doing it the way you're doing it and so churches all I'm getting a plethora of books and suggestions on how to do church differently far more than I've ever seen in my lifetime just in the last month the church is waking up and I think this is a good thing okay these are just two of the examples that help us understand Paul's encouragement. So what does all this mean? Let's go back to Philippians. You see, the decision to trust Christ and follow Philippians 4 starts as a personal decision. Look in verse 9, the last verse in that section. Whatever you have heard, learned, or received from me, or seen in me, put it into practice. There's the final word of exhortation. Do it. And then the God of peace will be with you. Put it into practice. You see, all of this ultimately finds its fulfillment when we gather again and we start to do it. It starts with a personal decision. The Psalms show us that. 
David decides to praise God, but it finds its ultimate fulfillment in community when we decide to put each other first and love one another. That's what it means. So where does this peace of God come from? The peace of the God of peace will be with you. Remember what it said in verse 7? The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts or your minds in the God of peace. So the peace of God comes from the God of peace. That's where it comes from. It doesn't come from scientific studies. It doesn't come from that. It comes from the peace of God comes from the God of peace. Putting our faith in the right place. So it's time to turn our fears, which were legitimate in the beginning, we were all anxious. It's time to turn them back into confidence in a God who cares for us and loves you, loves us. I would encourage you, by the way, during this time, while we're beginning the process of reopening, to read through the Psalms. They follow the same patterns. It doesn't matter if they're crying out to God because somebody's going after them, if they're celebrating, if they're praising Him, if they're worshiping Jesus in the Psalm. It doesn't matter. They all end up in the same spot. Turn your eyes toward Jesus. That's where our confidence grows from. This is why Christ came. Father, thank you. Thank you for finally helping our leaders to start opening up our counties. Father, I pray that the the modeling which shows that we could have a significant increase, I pray, Lord, that they are either minor or wrong. We have no problem if they're wrong. Help us to come back together and protect those that we love, the vulnerable, those who are compromised, those who have now paid a tremendous price because of this. Help us to be a church that reaches out to them and loves them well. Thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for continuing to give to our church because you are. So many of you are. We are grateful. And um, again, we're going to celebrate communion. It's not snowing right now. So if you'd like to take communion, just drive around back. One of us will serve you communion. In the meantime, uh, enjoy the peace of Christ.